So today we'll be going through 2 John. Uh, some context around this letter. So this is, this is John written by John, who is the son of Zebedee. The same John who wrote uh, the Gospel of John and the other two letters of John, 1 John and 3 John. Uh, also the writer of Revelations. I'll say the letter that we're reading today is likely to be written around 90s AD. Um, the second letter, um, which John has written to the elder and her elect lady, as we read today, is um, warns against false teaching, as we can see later on, and focused on Christian hospitality. Uh, it still holds fast to the themes of truth, love, obedience found in Second John, as well as First John. However, um, we also gain that, once again, that understanding of Christian hospitality in the end. Uh, when I first was taking a look at this, um, this, v- these verses here, it gave me a reminder of a friend that I used to have in university. At first, we used to have like a lot of disagreements um, in terms of doctrine, and it, it never was in love. It, it never had this essence which we share as Christians. It, it always was a toxic back and forth, and I never really truly looked to God. So for a while after that, I avoided anyone who said they were a Christian, but didn't agree with me. But later on, I learned, I was humbled to learn that actually there are Christians out there who share the same truth, although we may not agree on the different nuances, nuances of Christ. So I, I hope that as we read this, this may be shown to you. So if we um, take a look at the first verse again, the first, let's look at the verses that we're reading just to find out what's going on in the text. It reads, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father, Son, in truth and love. There's a lot which John has written that we can investigate here, but I want to focus on the truth and why does it allow us to love each other. In the first verse, we can see that John refers to himself as an elder. An elder is and was a commonly used term to describe a spiritual leader and, in the, and uh, a pastoral leader in the early church. So this is what John mostly was. However, we may read this and, and think elder. We may think that John was an elderly person. And this may have been true, but the term elder used in terms of a spiritual leader is seen in other parts of the Bible, such as Titus 1.5 or 1 Peter 5.1, where we read, so I, exhort you, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. An elder is someone who shares the witness to the ministry of Jesus Christ, also a leader of the church. So it's clear that much like... Much like Peter or Paul, John was a spiritual leader in his church. Knowing this, we may continue to read on to whom John was sending this letter to. The text in front of us shows that the elder John was writing this letter to the elect lady and her children. I just want to pause here for a moment to allow us to think about who this elect lady may have been and who are her children. In this, we get the elect lady and her children, but the ESV also reads, that's what the ESV reads, but the NKJV may read, 
to the lady chosen by God and her children. Why do I bring this up? What importance does the word elect mean? And what does it mean to be chosen by God? To put, in a, to put it simply in a way I hope we all understand. The term elect refers to the election of those people who have been sovereignly chosen by God for the redemption of sin to receive eternal life. The choice that God has made is not based, one on, is not based on our own works to receive his redemption, nor is it based on God looking up to the future to understand whether or not we chose him and then he chooses us in return. This is a choice of God, made by God before the beginning of time in his sovereignty to allow us unworthy sinners to receive him eternally and live a life of eternal peace. Bringing this context into light, this may mean the elect lady may have been a friend or a sister to John, who is also a believer, much like us Christians, who know the truth and have been brought to salvation. However, as we read Second John, we find that the commands that John refers to are the ones which have been given to the church and suit better when referring to a church. If you look at the final verse, 13, he writes, the children of your elect sister greet you. So in this, we understand that John is writing from one church to another church. And he writes to a church with believers much like ours. Uh, if you are here last week, you may understand that the church is made up of the body and its members. And the head of the church is Christ. Similarly here, the elect lady and her children is in essence the church made up of its body and that would be her children. Now we understand that John, the spiritual leader, writing this letter to the church in which he continues to show that there are people later on who are bringing a false gospel, who deny the teachings of Jesus Christ, as we read in 2 John. And rather, he, I'll say here, he teach, teaches us to focus on this unity that we have. So today I'm focusing on the key lesson, is that we are knit together by the truth. And this brings me to my first point. These first century believers were able to love each other because they shared the truth. If we read the verse, John, John says, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but all who know the truth. The love which John describes here is between those who know the truth. The truth described here is in essence what allows us believers to love one another. And without this truth, we would not have love for one another. I'm reminded of the world and how we, how we think about love. What is love to us in, in media, in pop culture? Love is a self-seeking, pleasurable thing that is selfish and is for those who please you. It's not a love that is sacrificial. But rather, if you read in scripture, we can see that love is defined by God. And we've heard that God is love. So, in fact, my brothers and sisters... I want to say, unless you know God and you, you do not have love within you. If we look at 1 John 4, 7 to 8, I'll just read it. You don't need to turn to it. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Beloved, the fact is here, those who do not know God do not have love. And God being, a love, God being love has allowed us to receive his love and share this love with other people. This love is a sacrificial, unconditional love, which has saved us from eternal damnation. 
Now, this love means that we can share this other love with other people. First and foremost, the text here talks about how we can, how they love, whom I love in truth, not only I, but all of you know the truth. So, sorry. So we can see that this love is about us loving each other. So the famously quoted verse, John three sixteen, writes, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And as we are filled with God's love through salvation, we can then have love for our friends, our family, our neighbours, and even our enemies, this is that sacrificial love that allows us to bear the burden through pain. Even when somebody isn't so beneficial to us, we can still love them because this is the love that God has for us. Ultimately, as the Bible states, if we cannot say we love one another, brothers and sisters, then Christ is not in us and we do not know God. However, these believers that loved each other were bound in the truth of Jesus. The truth here, aletheia, the word in Greek, is the ultimate truth, which we find in God's word. Rather, this truth is God's word. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the living word. No one can come to the Father except through him. This is the truth that we see here. That is, that we are sinners who have fallen short of God's standard of holiness. And the wages of these sin are death. However, God in his great mercy has written a redemptive plan in which he sends his Jesus, his only son, a holy and blameless lamb to put on the flesh of man. Both 100% God and 100% man so that he, he may die on the cross as the final sacrifice and pay for our sins in full. As we read in, in 1 Corinthians 15 today, Christ rose on that cross, ensuring that those who have faith and turn to him will receive the forgiveness of sins and be made justified in the eyes of God, so that we may be brought to live life with God eternally, eternity, eternally. This is the belief that we believers share. Nothing less, nothing more. This is all that we hold in common, and this is what allows us to love each other. To illustrate this point, um, I was recently watching a video on uh, TikTok. It was like two, three weeks ago. And the video was about a Chelsea fan who, who had this stranger behind them. The, the person's name was Dave. He had this stranger behind them. He was filming this video. And this person, Dave, comes up behind them. These two gentlemen were very different, you could argue. Um, I wouldn't say that different. They just had a difference of race. But um, they, you could see that they, they were standoffish to, between each other, but the man behind him, I don't know his name, but Dave, being the, the main man, um, was, was a bit wary of this man, this other man, so they, they weren't really getting along together well because they were strangers. But as time went on, um, Dave and the other man began to realise that they have this great love for Chelsea. They have this love for Chelsea, and it's what made them get along together. And... As I, as I watch that video, I think about it now, it's like, shouldn't we be the ones who realize that we share a greater truth than just a football team? 
and that we should be the ones who are the thought leaders in love and in unity, uh, regardless of our social differences. So what does this truth mean for us? Firstly, if you've heard this gospel message, um, whether it's today or in the past, and you still have not accepted it, do not delay. Rather, believe in the truth and trust in God. Repent of your sin. This is the first step in experiencing the love of God. Now, as I think of the fellowship of believers that we have here, I'm reminded that we should be really asking ourselves, do we love each other truly? Are we in love with the church, uh, in a sense? Do we care about what's going on in each other's lives? Do we call each other? Do we visit each other? Now, these, these are just a few things, but if, if you've asked yourself that question and you think about it, then I challenge you to maybe reach out to someone, young and old alike, doesn't matter what they are, as long as they have this belief in Jesus. Reach out to them and talk to them so that we may better guide each other in this truth, so that we may be able to pray for each other, rebuke each other, and we need this to be a part of each other's lives. It, I, f- I find it really hard this, to say this myself because it's something I know I struggle with. I find it really hard to build rapport with someone I don't have any common things with. Um, but, I be- this, but we do have the belief in Jesus. We have the gospel of Jesus, which should be our truth. That should be the thing that helps us build rapport and be able to talk to each other. Now, the final, not the final thing, but the third thing that I want us to be able to remember because of this truth that uh, the the truth allows us to love each other, is that we as Christians aren't just limited to this fellowship. We aren't just limited to this local church of believers, but there's many other churches, many other denominations that do truly share this truth. Not false churches, but churches that believe in God, believe that Christ has died for our sins. Now, if you come across these people, don't be like me and shrug them off because they don't share the same beliefs as you, but actually talk to them because we do share this truth and we can still guide each other in this truth. We can rebuke each other. We can learn from each other. And that's something I should have learned much earlier, but I'm glad that I've learned it now. Now, apart from this fellowship, there are those who aren't Christians and we have the responsibility to share this truth. Now, it's like the illustration I've heard before. If somebody's in a burning building and can see that their lives are damned, then wouldn't you be wise to tell them that they're in a burning building? So believers, if we share this truth, we should be willing to share it with those who don't know it. We should really just come out of our comfort zone and in love share this truth with them so that we may share in the graces that God has granted us. So this is the first point, that the truth allows us to love each other. Now, the second truth shown in this text, if we just read verse 2. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Now, the word because is the connective tissue between verse 1 and verse 2. Showing showing us that the reason we can love one another is because the truth abides in us and will be with us forever. However, as, as I've already mentioned that We love each other because of the truth. I won't belabor this point. But this is the evidence that we do love each other. 
Moving on, what does that mean, though? What does it mean that the truth abides in us forever? Well, to abide, the word abide, means to remain or stay. The writer here, John, is saying that the truth remains in us eternally, forever. Abiding for the Christian is to abide in the teachings of Christ. When we hold closely and are steadfast to his word, then it becomes clear that we must abide in God. And how by believing in Jesus, we receive him into our very souls. Although this verse talks about the truth abiding in us, we must remember that we must abide in Christ. John, in John 15, 4, it is written, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, neither can you unless you abide in, he, in me. What Jesus says here in John reminds us that without abiding in him, we will not bear fruit. And for us to be able to bear fruit, we must remain in him as he is the true vine. Now, what importance does this have for the Christian? Well, we've been able to come to an understanding that the gospel allows us to love each other, love one another in truth. However, the truth also allows us to be united with Christ. This is the key truth, that without us being united with Christ, first and foremost, there is nothing we can do in our own strength. Everything we do is... It's like us, the Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags unto God. So everything we do as born-again believers has to be led by the Holy Spirit. Um, everything I've mentioned here today so far that we must abide in this truth, we must love one another, is done by leaning firstly unto God. So for us to, to live our lives as believers, we must abide in Jesus. We must ab- abide in God. We must fellowship with Christ. This is to have a oneness of heart with God and trust him in all that we do. The only way to do this is to spend time reading our word in, in prayer, in pursuit of the spiritual wisdom and the knowledge of God. This is, to have, this is all we need to have fellowship with Christ. Obeying the commands found in his word and submitting to, this, to his will. The result of this is that Christ will abide in us and, and living by the Spirit, we will bear the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are all the things that we'll see as we bear fruit in Christ. The truth abiding in us is very important and we shouldn't take it lightly at all. It's important because it is all that we need to live our lives as Christians. Now, rather in knowing this, we must allow the word, to go, word of God to dwell richly in us, as I said before, by reading his word and praying unto him. But also by teaching each other by learning from God's words that we may also teach each other and also admonish each other so that we can rebuke each other when we know that we've been led astray um, by read, from, reading God's, from not reading God's word. So 
The, so in all this, we must do this in all wisdom. The unity we share with God is important to how we have unity with one another. So first and foremost, we must focus on this relationship that we have with God. And that way, only then can we be better effective as believers. Lastly, I'd like to say the truth abides in us forever. I believe the, the reason God has put this in Scripture and why John writes us here is to comfort us. We must abide in Christ's teaching, but we aren't the ones who have earned our salvation. We do it in the strength of God, and we can't do anything else from the strength of God. Um, the illustration we're given in John 15 is that we, we are the branch and Christ being the vine. So God in his love, we're, we're told that God in his love prunes us and takes care of us in, in order that we must bear fruit. So in all discipline or suffering, God is pruning us so that we may bear fruit in, in a sense. So that we may glorify him. However, on the other hand, there are those who don't bear fruit. There are those who have not been abiding in God. And in a, in a sense, God chucks these branches into the fire. He chucks them away. But then you must remember that in abiding in Christ, we may be able to see the fruit that we are saved. We have this assurance from God himself that we are saved. Not trusting in our own works, but in what God has done for us. This truth should give us peace and confidence that we are not the ones who save ourselves, but rather it is a gift from God. And this gift is forever. It's not going to go away. And we shouldn't be worrying about losing our salvation. So we must remember this. And lastly, uh, this is a shorter but final point. Lastly, um, the truth leads us to inherit grace, mercy, and peace. Let's read the final verse again. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and love. We may be able to read this differently if we don't understand it. God the Father and Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and in love, have, the, have created the means in which we will inherit grace, mercy, and peace. We spoke earlier about this truth uh, that of Jesus Christ and how he sent his only begotten son into the world because of the love he has for us. And in this, we will receive grace, mercy, and peace. Why is this important? Beloved, remember the key truth here is that we are knit together by the truth. We've spoken both about how we've united with each other and we are united with God, but there's, there's another, another united in that we need to think about. Have we considered that God is united in the Trinity? That our salvation comes from God working hand in hand, three persons. God the Father, God the Father Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In who, are, those are the responsible persons for our salvation and they have planned it from the beginning of time in whom now we're able to rejoice in the truth that we've been saved. 
The fact that God has unity with himself is the great reminder that we must also be united with one another. The triune God has worked out our salvation for this reason, however, not this reason alone, but also that we may receive grace, mercy, and peace. Now, grace, um, I'll just give a definition of those. Grace is the unmerited favor that we, a gift we receive without being deserving for it, of it. For instance, our salvation is a gift of grace, and it is, as it is something we do not deserve. Mercy is the compassion and kindness that we have received from God as he doesn't send us to hell for our sins and the evil that we do against him. And lastly, we receive God's peace. Peace here is the word, don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, it's irene in the Greek. Um, And it means one, quietness and rest. We who have received the peace of God can now, now truly say that we are one with God and we can now rest in God. We're no longer enemies with God, but rather with God. There is peace now. And this also means that there is peace amongst each other. We have peace because we trust in God. And now we share it with one another, our friends, our enemies, our neighbors. In going through these verses, beloved, I hope you may understand that we're knit together to love and care for one another. God has ultimately given us unity with one another, with himself. And this unity should empower us as Christians to stay away from Satan and his lies. May you reflect on these truths and allow it to be the reason of your unity and continued fellowship. Amen. Amen.